I think you have to keep that in the pod. Like, let us know. What do you like about grandma? <laughs> I didn't even catch that. So you had me fooled. It's the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Hey, welcome to episode 68, the Yarmer Jagger edition of the podcast. What an absolute legend he was. Playing in the NHL until he was 45 years old, he scored the second most points in NHL history, just 936 points behind the GOAT Wayne Gretzky, had the third most goals, and was a five-time Art Ross winner, given to the player with the most points for a season. He's still playing hockey, too, at age 49 in a league in Czech Republic, where he put up 12 points in 19 games this season. He's also the subject of perhaps one of the greatest stories ever told on this podcast. From my guest, Mr. Tony Ambrosio, on episode 66, he was a phenomenal guest, and it was absolutely legendary. It's a must-listen for sure. Speaking of hockey, it is my honor to be the first to break the news that the Montreal Canadiens lost the cup final in five games to the Tampa Bay Lightning. It still amazes me that so many Leaf fans cheered for their bitter rivals to win the Cup, a team that ripped their heart out in the first round by erasing a 3-1 series deficit. Imagine a Yankees fan cheering for the Red Sox when Boston came back to beat New York from a 3-0 hole in the 2004 ALCS. It's a bonkers concept. Just because they're a Canadian team, it doesn't mean you have to be sheep and automatically cheer for them. Now, it didn't work out, and I'm super happy about it, but I placed perhaps my greatest emotional hedge wager of all time. When Montreal was down 3 nothing, not down 0-3, it makes no sense to say you're down 0-3. That's a double negative. The Habs were 40-1 to to win the Cup, so I bet $5 on that to win 200 bucks, just in case they made a miraculous comeback to win it all. I didn't want them to get it, of course, but in case they did somehow do it, I would have $200 in my bank account. Like I said, probably my greatest emotional hedge bet ever, and I'm truly glad to lose that five bucks. My next guest is a big hockey fan, but I'm not sure if she's a Leaf fan or if she was cheering for Montreal. I'll have to ask her about that during our discussion. So without further ado, let's get cracking. Okay, now welcome on Lindsay Hamilton. She's a host on TSN for SportsCenter, Ottawa Center's broadcasts, along with various other platforms, and she recently covered the epic tournament comeback by Canada at the World Championship in Latvia. She's also a huge Bachelorette show fan. We'll get to that in a little bit. <laughs> Welcome to the H-Dog Pod, Lindsay. Thanks so much for having me, Hound Dog. I appreciate you taking the time, and what a kind intro that was. <laughs> well, uh, absolutely. And like I said, we'll, we'll definitely have to delve deeply into the Bachelorette, because I know we both love that, and uh, this oh, season's yes. been fantastic. But uh, I guess we'll start off with, though, uh, uh, take us back to the start of your career in broadcasting. How did you know you wanted to get into it, and uh, what did you do to, to lead up to working at TSN? Oh, gosh, it's been a long time, so I'll try and make this short and not ramble on. (laughs) I am the middle child in a family of five. As long as I can remember, we were always playing sports. It was an ultra-competitive household, so sports has always been a large part of my life ever since I was a little kid. And I've always been curious and loved talking to people and asking questions. So when I was really young, like five, six, seven years old, um, along playing a ton of different sports I asked my mom to get me involved in theater productions and then from theater um, it led into the world of TV so I got started in television when I was about 13 years old and my kind mother drove me to auditions all over Toronto and that was my first taste in front of a television camera and just working with different people in the industry and realizing I really enjoyed it and then when I was 18 years old I landed what was really my first big break as a national host for the family channel. So we did interviews with various Disney and family channel celebrities. It allowed me the opportunity to travel across North America and interview some really big names at the time. And then I decided I loved that. And I knew right away, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to work in broadcasting. So I deferred my acceptance to McMaster University, worked full-time for the Family Channel. It ended up turning into a job that lasted for over five years. I simultaneously did my undergrad degree at McMaster in communications and film, also because I could play varsity lacrosse there. And it was during my first or second year of university, while I was still working for the Family Channel, that I knew I also wanted to veer into sports. So I started a sports radio show. I did some work for the CFL. 
And then after university, I really hit the gas pedal in pursuing sports full-time. Um, I made a number of stops. I won't take you through the entire resume, but it included everything from dabbling in production and news, the Pan Am Games, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, work with the Marlies and the Maple Leafs. Um, I worked at CBC with their national news network. And then from CBC, jumped over to TSN, where I've been for about five years now. So I tried to keep it as short as I can, but as you know, a broadcaster's journey is never short and it's always unorthodox, <laughs> but in a nutshell, uh, in TV, it's, it's coming on 20 years, which is wild to think that I was just a little kid in front of a camera and it would turn into something pretty special. That's great. And you said earlier that when you started out, you got to go across, uh, you know, various places and, uh, got to talk to some interesting people. Uh, who, uh, who are those people you uh, interviewed? Um, we did kind of everyone who was big in the Disney and family channel world at the time, which included Demi Lovato. We did a bunch of interviews with Selena Gomez, the Jonas brothers wow. who were awesome. Justin Bieber was a really fun interview. Bieber. So we did the Biebs. Yeah. <laughs> wow. um, nice guy. He is really nice. It was for his Never Say Never 3D movie. Um, so we got the purple 3D glasses at the time he still had the iconic shag. I don't know if you remember that. It was the younger Bieber with the hair flip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just remember his security team was larger than anyone I had ever interviewed before. We had to go up like three different levels of stairs just to get to the interview. And just the fandom, it was unlike anything I had ever seen before. And I had interviewed other notable artists at that point, including Demi Lovato and Selena Gomez and One Direction. So people who were also creating a lot of buzz, but I truly had never seen anything like the fans <laughs> surrounding Justin Bieber. Like Harrison, I interviewed him and then fans were going crazy to touch my arm because <laughs> they thought maybe my arm had touched Justin Bieber's arm and somehow they're going to like get the infusion of Bieber. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> Um, so there are a lot of excited 11 and 12 year old girls outside of that interview, but, uh, nonetheless, it led to some fun stories and really interesting interviews to conduct. Wow. That's uh, that, that's awesome. And, uh, I, you obviously mentioned Disney. I remember when you were guest hosting, uh, on the, uh, SC with Jay show, uh, a while back, you said, uh, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong. You said you were involved in a Disney production in terms of, uh, acting and stuff. Is that, is that right? Oh, um, I'm trying to think. I mean, um, it might have been, and I always, sometimes you kick yourself. You're like, why did I mention that on national TV? Everyone's going to know. Um, I think I mentioned that I did a musical kind of tour with a Disney band. So there was a band called All Star Weekend, and I love to sing and play the guitar. So I toured the Canadian dates with this band called All Star Weekend. So we did a show in Montreal and Toronto. So I think that was probably it. Right. That was my, my Disney affiliation. <laughs> um, but an incredible experience, as I said. And Family Channel actually used to do these anti-bullying tours across Canada. So we got to go to so many incredible cities that otherwise I would have never had the opportunity to travel to. And we would visit with public schools and you know, usually bring a counselor and talk about the importance of anti-bullying. And we'd also bring a guitar and sing. And it was just a lot of fun. Um, I'm I'm just really grateful for those years of my career and, and all the people who kind of helped shape my start in TV. Because as you know, the first few years, you're you're learning on the fly. You're, you're working with huge sets and, and a ton of really talented professionals. So I learned a lot during those years. And what uh, what was your favorite city to uh, to visit for those? Oh gosh, that's a tough one. I ask the tough love, questions I, in this podcast, you know. I ask I the, mean, the hard hitting you're questions. Hard hitting, hound dog. <laughs> um, I mean, just because honestly, there are so many little pockets of Canada that I, I mentioned I never otherwise would have traveled to, but I was just so pleasantly surprised. I have a soft spot in my heart for the East Coast. Um, I love Halifax; I think it's a great city. And then we got to travel out to Vancouver too, and. You know, I've had the opportunity to visit Vancouver a couple of times, um, and I just love that city. Everyone is so focused on activities and healthy living, and they're outside, which is all up my alley. I'd love to go back and spend more time in the remote parts of BC, but um, yeah, anytime I can travel, 
I'm game, especially right now during COVID. It's like I've got the itch after yeah. Latvia and the World Championship. I'm just I'm ready to go. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I haven't actually been to Vancouver, but I've been uh, uh, far out, uh, out east. My sister lives in Halifax, which is great. And uh, have you ever been to PEI? PEI is just um, the locals there were just the nicest people ever. I've heard PEI is stunning. I haven't visited yet, but I did do a trip out to Grossmore National Park a few years back and did Newfoundland and Labrador. Have you done that before? No, that's uh, we went uh, years ago. My parents and I, yeah, we went uh, when my sister was there. We visited Halifax and New Brunswick and PEI, but we never got to go to Newfoundland and Labrador, unfortunately. Yeah, put that on the bucket list. It remains one of the most beautiful trips I've ever done. Um, you can go up to Twilling Gate where the icebergs come in. I did a whale watching tour for two hours. Didn't see a single whale, but I hear other people see the whales. So that's maybe I'll go back and hopefully see some next time I go. Um, but just, you know, the hiking out there and you're right on the ocean. It's so beautiful. So everyone listening, Newfoundland and Labrador, go visit, go explore, whatever their their tourism motto is. Yeah, and uh, that we worked with a few people who are from out there, and uh, they're just the, the coolest people, and the accent's awesome. And uh, it's definitely a thing where even uh, pre-COVID, I definitely didn't visit enough around Canada than I, that, as I should have. Unfortunately, it's pretty expensive, uh, plane flights. But uh, uh, yeah, I definitely need to explore more of this country as opposed to just staying in Toronto the whole time because it's just it's so amazing r- around Canada. Totally. Well, it's all, we're almost there. People are getting double vaxxed. Things are starting to open up. So hopefully within... A few months. Slowly but surely, absolutely. And uh, and you were, of course, you were mentioning about uh, working uh, for the World uh, Championship uh, in Latvia there. How cool of, a, of an experience was it there, and especially with Canada, you know, coming all the way back to, to win the tournament? Oh, it was incredible. I mean, you mentioned the start. Canada 0-3. A Canadian team had never had a start like that before. And I think a lot of people were concerned that they wouldn't make it past the opening rounds and then Andre Mangiapane came over and it really seemed to be the offensive click they needed he instantly produced on that top line with Connor Brown and Adam Henrique and things just started to come together and I give a lot of credit to Gerard Gallant he remained cool as a cucumber throughout the entire process even when they were 0-3 you would have never known he just stayed so optimistic and positive and then they really turned a corner and was almost as though you couldn't slow them down after that. They kept on picking up momentum. It was this truly Cinderella story and that everything fell into place. Like so many other things needed to happen, even for Canada to qualify amongst all the other games and teams winning or losing in regulation. And it just worked out. And in some of the moments I look back, I, I still watch them in awe. Troy Stetcher had this beautiful between the legs play during three on three against Russia and then to face Finland again, who obviously Canada had fell to in the final. There were some members of Team Canada, including their captain, Adam Henrique, who had lost to Finland in the final. So for them to come back and beat them in a pandemic, which was such a strange environment to hold the world championship, it was honestly like a magical run. It was so much fun to cover. Got to be part of the champagne showers in the dressing room, which was always something I wanted to experience as a broadcaster. And I got to enjoy bubble life. And I say enjoy because I was a little worried, Harrison. I didn't know what to expect. I was like, is, is this going to be cooped up in a no, hotel? Pretty no much. fresh air for a couple of weeks. But you know what? It was, it was, I almost didn't notice I was in a bubble because there was so much hockey. Like the days are long. Um, I think it was something like 40 games in the first 14 days, like a ton of hockey and you're running around and you know, you kind of forgot you're in a bubble at points because you're just watching live sports again, which I had missed so much. I can imagine, yeah. It's, uh, and um, so, well, yeah, how, how was it in Lafayette? So were you able to actually explore some of the, uh, you know, places around there? I saw some stuff on Instagram. Looked like you were having I a was. good time. Yeah, I had a fantastic time. So the first few weeks during the actual tournament, as I say, I was in the bubble. Um, and that's because I was interviewing players. So we were all in what they called uh, Tier 2. So it was just hotel straight to the arena only you couldn't even leave the confines of the arena you had covid tests every couple of days daily covid forms the whole nine yards and after the tournament ended originally i attacked on just a few days to explore the city of riga it's a world heritage city which i had no idea 
Um, and I just, I, I didn't want to come back and people asked, Hey, how was Regan? I said, well, I don't know. I only saw the four walls of my hotel room in the arena. So I'm so grateful. I got the chance to explore the city after. And honestly, I loved it so much. Two days in, I asked work if I could take a few vacation days and, and explore a little bit longer just by myself. And I got the green light and I spent nearly a week and a half just wandering around Riga and the nearby beach town, which is Yermala. And it was just a dream. I've always wanted to do Europe by myself. There were no tourists because we're in a pandemic. It was safe and clean and quiet. I rented a bicycle. I rented a paddleboard one day. I was just a little tourist um, living in a dream world. And again, it just felt so nice to explore and, and see a different place after the last year and a half of being pretty confined between apartment and studio. So it was an incredible trip. And uh, on your travels there, did you bump into NHL legend goaltender Arturs Urbe? I didn't actually. <sighs> no. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. Like during the rink, even, uh, like there would be some people kind of walking around and and you get to brush shoulders. But again, because of everything being so locked down, um, you didn't really have the opportunity, sadly. Ah, damn! Uh, I love that goal. He was—he uh, was—he was one of the one of the best. No, no question about that. What uh, would you say uh, during your career, either from either, either that tournament or somewhere else, was this sort of the proudest moment uh, of your career? That's a great question. Honestly, I think it's anytime you can make a positive impact with your work and influence people in a way that will leave a. Just a lasting impression beyond that single broadcast. And maybe it sounds a little bit cheesy, but for me, anytime I receive messages from either young kids or up and coming broadcasters or even young girls or their parents who send me a message and say, you know what, I saw you hosting uh, an NHL game on the desk. And my daughter looked to me and said, hey, maybe that's something I can do one day. Messages like that really mean a lot to me. I could imagine. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, pre-pandemic times, would, would you ever like get noticed a lot when you're out uh, you know, at a restaurant or something like that? I'm assuming that's pretty cool. Or does that get tiresome after a while? You know what? It doesn't. I think for the most part, it's humbling when, when people respect your work or, you know, enjoy what you do. And again, I think for me as a female in the industry, there were so many people I looked up to and who had such a lasting impression on my own career journey that if I hear I'm making even a sliver of an impact on someone else, um, it's just a really humbling usually exchange and it, it means a lot. And again, I've just been so appreciative to have other people kind of pave the way for me. So if I can do that in a little way, I always have time for a conversation. That's good. And speaking of humbling, good segue. Uh, any uh, embarrassing moments? Uh, I always like to bring this like, this question up. But you, as soon as you said it or did it, you're like, oh boy, oops. Oh gosh, embarrassing moments. Where to begin? I probably have enough to fill in 45 minutes of a podcast with we those alone. All the time yeah. in the world for that. That's uh, yeah. I'd love to hear yeah. all of them. <laughs> I have I have tons. Um, I'm kind of a clumsy person, um, and I I just you know, spill things and trip over things and do a lot of stuff like that. So off the top of my head recently, um, seconds before an on cam, I have my water bottle that I just, you know, take a swig of before interviews. And, um, I unbeknownst to me, take a sip of my water bottle, come on camera. It's supposed to be a wide shot and it's a close up of my face. And after I'm like, Hey, like, did we have the wrong shot? Um, and Apparently, I had spilt my entire water bottle over my dress seconds before <laughs> seconds before my on cam. So they had to zoom into my face with like three seconds before <laughs> the on cam. So that's one example of the clumsiness. Um, another time, this was back in my family channel days when we were doing multiple interviews in um, Los Angeles with various people. So we had to keep continuity and bring the outfits to each one. And I was, it was like a junket. So we were interviewing a bunch of Disney stars and I went to the bathroom to change into the original outfit that I had done the intro in and I had no pants. And I come back out and ask my producer because someone else was packing my wardrobe bag. And I was like, do we have the pants? 
we didn't have pants. Um, so I'm freaking out because the interview is in a few minutes and I'm pantsless. And we, again, have to keep continuity and try to have like somewhat of the same wardrobe. So I need to, to keep the stuff on top. And I'm in a dress right now. So we're trying to figure out like, how do we do this? So we had to go to all the international broadcasters and ask if anyone had pants I could borrow for an interview. And sure enough, I think it was a woman from Germany. She was so kind and she lent me her pants and I wore her pants and we did the interview with the top and we kept the continuity, but that's another embarrassing moment. So I'll leave it at two. I could keep going for a long time. <laughs> There's a, a long list of them. That's uh, that's awesome. There now, thankfully for this podcast, I uh, have the option of editing uh, some things out that I may have gotten wrong. I think one of my favorite, uh, one of the intros I did way back when, because uh, I'm a big uh, on grammar and spelling. Uh, okay. And, and you know, people who who write, uh, you know, two O's and you know, I lose my mind instead of I lose. Oh my god, that just drives me crazy. Like I, 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 don't, <laughs> I don't understand, or you know, the your your any of those mistakes just drive me absolutely off the wall. And uh, I meant to say on my intro that I'm a grammar nerd, but unfortunately came out that I'm a grandma nerd, which uh, <laughs> slightly different uh, context, I suppose. Right? I think you have to keep that in the pod. Like, let us know. What do you like about grandma? <laughs> I didn't even catch that. So you had me fooled. Grandma yeah. nerd, grammar nerd. Yeah, I put that as a as an uh, outtake at the end of the episode. I'm like, that this is just too good, you know. Just, uh, stuff so like that funny. is. Uh, but like uh, I've I've often said with other guests, uh, mistakes as long as it's not too bad, mistakes are are hilarious. I wish they hadn't have actually zoomed in on you on on that shot of uh, with the water because that you know it just would have been amazing coming back from commercial and then like, having to explain it would have been people at home. I'm sure would have been dying laughing. Right, and I think. Um there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that if people found out, they would realize sometimes just the chaos happening behind the camera where you can seem quite composed in front of the camera, but it definitely adds to the excitement. I think that's what we all love about live TV, right? It's, it's knowing anything can happen. You're kind of flying by the seat of your pants sometimes, but it makes for an entertaining day. Actually, while I think of all the things that have happened seconds before being on air or while being on air, I was doing a Senator's broadcast with Cheryl Pounder this season and in the middle of our hit something fell from the table behind us and that was on camera during the broadcast so you couldn't hide that one at all and I think we just commented like oh, okay something's falling off our set and you just keep going <laughs> because again you're live tv um so you definitely always got to stay on your toes that's uh, that's hilarious. And uh, are you uh, like, do you find yourself having a, a, a team that you, that you cheer for in hockey, or are you sort of a Canadian uh, fan a team, a Canadian team fan? Or uh, so we're basically the, what I'm trying to say is, are you, are you a Leaf fan, and or were you cheering for the Canadians to win the cup? <laughs> I am a Leaf fan. Uh, was I cheering for the Canadians? Once the Canadians <sighs> knocked off the Leafs, there was originally you know that that feeling of hurt. I was in Latvia actually at the time. So I tried watching a little bit of the series from Latvia, but games were starting at about 3 a.m. Yes. And I was having to get up at 7, 8 a.m. for work. So after trying to watch the first period of, I think, game one, I was like, I don't know if this is going to cut it. Like, <laughs> you're going to be a zombie at the arena if you keep doing this. So I didn't get to see as much as I would of the early rounds. But um, once the Habs were making that magical run, I was like, okay, they're a Canadian team. My father, my brother, my nephew, they're all really diehard Habs fans. Um, my grandpa was a Habs fan. So I got all the chirps from them in the group chat, and I got to feed off of their excitement. So I guess in some way, at least, they got to enjoy this run. And as a Leafs fan, at least they lost to the Habs. Um, so it still stings, but... At least someone had a magical run, I guess, right? Wouldn't you want to inflict all the pain on them as a Leaf fan that the Leafs fell against Montreal? In my intro, I had said that I just don't, I don't understand how Leaf fans, you lost your bitter rivals. And not only uh, is it your bitter rivals going to the cup final, which is bad enough to begin with, but yeah, you were up 3-1 against them and then you lost I against know. them. And so many Leaf fans are cheering for Montreal because they're the Canadian team. It makes no sense to me because a Montreal Canadiens fan, not a chance in a million years would they cheer for Toronto. Yet so many Leaf fans were cheering for Montreal. I just don't get the concept. So I understand what you're saying. And I have this argument or disagreement with someone recently because I, I know what you mean exactly. Like the Leafs are your team. You still feel that resentment and 
you're very upset about everything that happened. But I think it's because it's the national pride, if that makes sense. It's the feelings as a Canadian where it's like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of another good rivalry or even if it was you and a friend going back and forth. Red Sox, Yankees. Like a a Red Sox fan wouldn't cheer for the Yankees. No chance. But it's like. It's it's the nationalistic thing. It's it's you feel the allegiance to Canada as your country because that has been such a long spell as well. You know, for the Habs to be back at their first final since 1993, what that stretch means. I think it was more so what it could do for Canadian teams as a whole. I understand what you mean about the Leafs Habs rivalry and you never cheer for another, but I think it's more so it's the nationalistic pride and it's knowing that you lost to the best. It I mean, just it stings a little less. <laughs> like the, if the Habs got, you know, swept in four to the Jets, it would just be different. But you're like, oh, okay, the Habs are really good. Like all of a sudden they're going on this magical run. I think it, it's it stung less. I, I can uh, you could saw, you've somewhat convinced me. Not not fully on that. I, I still can't go all the way <laughs> cheering for Montreal. But uh, you know, uh, you know, yeah. It's I just uh, I think it's maybe because. Uh, uh, people who aren't, weren't from like you know f- uh, fans from the '60s, obviously the Leafs and uh, Canadians are bitter, bitter, bitter rivals then. But now they haven't had as much until this year. Of course, of course, fan bases and you, you know you don't want the team to win. But there hasn't been as many playoff meetings. If there's a few more playoff meetings between the two, then it'll ratchet up even more. I, I would imagine. Yeah, and I think as you say, for some of the older fans, like I remember even I talk about my dad being a Montreal Canadiens fan when I first got the job with Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment. I laughed because he had to, he was driving me somewhere and I was like, I don't know, wearing a Leafs hat or something. And he's like, you can't get into my car with that. (laughs) (laughs) I had to take it off. And then another time I was hosting a game over at uh, what is now Scotiabank Arena. And my brother, Habs fan, came with my nephew, who at the time was, I don't know, probably about a year old. And they're both in their Habs jerseys. Mm. And I'm like, what is this? Like, I'm the arena host. They can't be seen with you wearing these. Like, what's happening? So they don't really care at all. And the rivalry is still very real in the family. I don't even think it's actually as much as the the actual team itself. There's actually, there's a lot of Canadian players, like Cole Caulfield, especially Nick Suzuki. They're fun players. You know, Shea Weber, you can't, it's hard to, you know, dislike him. Carey Price, same thing. It's not even necessarily so much about the the actual team itself. It's more just the fans because obviously, and I would do it as well. You 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 couldn't maybe beaking Leaf fans forever. They already have so much over the Leafs as it is. I just couldn't accept you know hearing oh yeah we beat Vegas we beat Tampa Bay we beat you like it would just be like oh my god they would it would be relentless with it. I think that was more the reason why I couldn't cheer for Montreal. Well, you know what? You have a summer to let it set, and we get to do it all again. <laughs> I, I, you, have, I, you have time to cope. I would be uh, honored to place a bet on Montreal missing the playoffs next year. I think that'd be, uh, you know, that, uh, especially if they go back to the normal divisions. Uh, it's going to be a really tough ride to get in the playoffs, and I have a feeling that'll probably happen, which happens often in the sports. Yeah, it sure does. Yeah, you heard it here first, folks. Yep. Oh, actually, I also said in my uh, intro uh, that I, I, I did an, an emotional hedge bet. I forgot to mention that. So when oh, the Habs were down... It? Well, when the Habs were down 3 nothing, not when they were yeah. down 0-3, because you can't be down 0-3. That's a double negative. That's another thing that drives me crazy. So many people <laughs> say down 0-3. Or they'll say, like, yeah, the team is losing 2-4. Oh, my God. They're losing 4-2. Just, mm. oh, my God. But um, <laughs> when the Habs were down uh, 3 uh, three nothing in the series, they were 40-1 to to win the Stanley Cup. So I placed a $5 wager on them to win the Cup as an emotional hedge against my feelings. So in case there was some sort of crazy comeback and they did win the Cup, at least I would win two hundred dollars. So, and I'm glad to have lost that five bucks. No problem at all to wow. lose it. Wow! But it was so, the perfect okay. emotional hedge. I have hedge. to ask about this. So, you bet on the Habs to win. As a true Leafs fan, that's a little dicey. <laughs> you could look at it that way. I thought, like I said, it was an emotional hedge in case it does happen. At least I win money. So I'll be mad, but then I'll be happy. That sort of uh, balances each other out. No. Right. It's a win-win no matter no matter what the result is. Okay, I, I guess I can understand the thought process there. But still, I mean, you talk about people not cheering on the Habs. You're the one betting money on the Habs, hound dog. So. That, that's, that's a fair point. But I, like I said, I did it. I did it. And I, I was hoping they would lose. So I definitely did not want to win that bet. So either way, it was good. And now I'm so happy I lost that $5. No a win-win scenario. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh, let's get to some reality TV, of course. Uh, as let's I mentioned off the it. top, uh, you know, this is, you know, the probably the best part of the conversation because, you know, we love some uh, reality shows. Bachelorette, (laughs) 
course has been on, I think, four or five weeks now. Uh, what do you think of uh, Katie Thurston's uh, season uh, thus far? You know what? I'm a fan of Katie. She's really grown on me. I didn't know what to expect. Um, and I like her cast for the most part. I think she has a pretty good crop of men. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not too much drama yet. I feel like there's been a little sprinkle of Thomas in there, and then the men voted him off immediately. But for the most part, I feel like Katie is really focusing on what matters. Like she's having those important conversations and you could probably agree with me on this point. I watch so many seasons where, you know, everyone says they want to get engaged at the end of it, but they don't ask one serious question the entire season. Or that's what it seems like. Like, you know, like, oh, like how many dogs do you have? What do you like to do? But no one asks, where do you want to live? Right. What's your job? What's your family like? Like questions that are kind of important at some point. Whereas I feel like Katie, she kind of dives right in. So I appreciate her for that. She seems to have a good head on her shoulders. And yeah, I feel like she has a a decent group of men. Well, see, uh, early in the season, uh, Carl, of course, was a guy. And it feels like every episode, the men have to have another guy. Uh, uh, I think it's Aaron. Aaron's the guy. He's always ganging up on one guy to try to get rid of him because I think they feel oh, insecure yeah. with each other, these guys. Are Aaron's like, the agitator. Exactly. And they're all worried that they're going to get uh, you know, axed. So Carl, initially, when he said, and he didn't give any examples, that was his downfall, but he said someone's here that isn't, for the, isn't here for the right reasons, which ended up being oh. Thomas. So it's kind yeah. of interesting to me that Carl is now sort of being proven to be correct on that. Uh, and uh, he was the hated one. Then, of course, as you said, there was Thomas. And, the, and it was obviously an, uh, an epic way for uh, Katie to get rid of him. Basically, he thought he was going to get the rose, of course. And then she's essentially just get the hell out of here, which was hilarious. But it, it, it made me think, and maybe the producers, wa- producers wanted this. It, it, it's almost like engaging a troll. You basically gave what Thomas wanted. You want Thomas, if, if he wasn't there for the right reasons, which it looks like he wasn't, he wanted to be someone that people would get upset about and memorable and all this stuff. So you basically made him more attractive to be on Bachelor in Paradise, in my opinion, because then he can play the, oh, I'm reformed card, and everyone's going to want to yeah. see him. Oh, Thomas, yes, he was amazing. So basically what I'm saying is she gave into like, you would a troll, like, just, just don't, don't even talk to him at all. Just get rid of him silently, essentially, and then he won't be as interesting. Uh, but now he's definitely, I would imagine, going to be at Bachelor in Paradise. Hound dog, this is why we all watch though, right? Because the producers are master manipulators. Mm-hmm. They know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And just some of the storylines and when people are talking and the way they cut to different scenes and the music and the way they just build these villains. I mean, it, it keeps you coming back. Sometimes you're ashamed that you watch and that you get drawn into it. And they scatter it with enough genuine moments as well. Like amidst all the Thomas drama Katie goes on a really heartfelt date with, I think it was Greg and they seem to be developing a real connection. So they pull you in and then they just sprinkle all the drama and the formula that I guess has been working for a while. Uh, it definitely is. And uh, now Hunter of course is the, is the new villain. Every episode, like I said, it was Carl and it was Thomas. Now it's Hunter. It's just so funny to me. Uh, fans of the show, of course, want to get these guys gone but it's like, first of all, you're a sucker to the editing because you basically no one really had a huge opinion on Hunter. They maybe didn't like him uh, early on, but it wasn't like, oh, my God, we absolutely need to get rid of this guy. All of a of sudden course. now he's the villain. I it's know. Like, Don't you want to be entertained? Don't you want those people? Like, I always want the villains. I wanted more Thomas. I, I'm not obviously he's not there to actually uh, get married uh, to Katie. But as a fan, I want the drama. It's awesome. But yes, yeah, um, to her credit. Unlike most seasons where they do keep the villains for like four or five weeks longer than they probably should, she's actually gotten rid of them right away. Yes, and I always wondered about that if other former Bachelor and Bachelorettes have to keep the villain on, like if they're required to keep them on for a few episodes, because sometimes it truly makes no sense. Um, Victoria, for instance, from last season. Yes, Queen Victoria. It was perplexing to me how Queen Victoria was on the show. Um, Sure, she's a lovely person, but I just, I didn't see the chemistry there. And there were some very strange things said by her. So, (laughs) you know, I'm glad Katie is able to see through a lot of the bull that's that's thrown her away. And she's quick. She makes those decisions and then she moves on. She knows what she wants. Yeah. And yeah, Queen Victoria, she was, uh, she was uh, fantastic. That last season was, was a very odd one in terms of like, 
it felt like to me, uh, and I'm sure there's been other seasons, of course, but like women were just attacking each other too much. It was like, oh my it god, it was like, awful. Uh, it was catty. Yeah, I know more than ever yeah. before. And uh, who was it? Was it Heather came onto the show? Just like Blake came onto this season, like late into the process, and it was just like they were. I understand you're obviously you're not going to be happy about it, but they were trashing her like crazy. It's like, oh my god, this is way too much. Yeah, it it was inappropriate, and it was not even like it was hard to watch yeah. because you you want someone to step in, and I think maybe in many ways that's why Katie is now the Bachelorette because she was one of the few people who stepped in and said, "Enough of this is enough." Like you're grown woman here. You're acting like children. Like, this is unacceptable. And I think that commanded her a lot of respect because at a certain point you have to step in and you have to say this behavior isn't appropriate, even for reality TV and and the wild world of The Bachelor and Bachelorette. So hopefully no more bullies and meanness. I think, I don't know, people watch the show for different reasons, but some of my favorite moments to watch are when you have like really important conversations and things that shift the narrative. And even Hunter, when you mentioned um, that people were ganging up on him, he recently came out and said he suffers with Tourette's. Yes. And I think that was such an important thing for viewers to understand, because I think even unrelated from bachelor and bachelorette right now, people are really quick to judge and they're, Mm -hmm really quick to jump on people's throats and tell them what they did wrong or, or how dare you do X, Y, Z when you don't know the full picture yourself and we're not really giving people a lot of grace. So there are life lessons to take away from reality TV. Yeah. Don't be so quick to judge. Get someone's full story. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Well, absolutely. And yeah, there's so many uh, different people who have been on those reality shows. Of course, some of them actually aren't the best of people, but yeah, it's like, you know, I'm sure, yeah, okay, Hunter obviously is a little bit maybe, they you know, showed him being aggressive in, in sports or whatever. But again, it's, they're sucker to the editing. Like, if they wanted to make him uh, the nice guy, I'm sure they easily could have. But they're like, oh, I guess we need a villain now. So it's, it would be cool to be on a reality show. I've, I've always wanted to be on them. I've tried to be on Big Brother Canada. Uh, spoiler hey. alert, it hasn't happened. But, well, uh, I mean, you know, it'd be, but it would be, it'd be, it'd be quite tough as well. Last time we spoke, which was, talking about the bachelor you mentioned that you may be applying has there been any progress on this the progress is there's been no progress at all sadly uh <laughs> yeah yeah it's okay. one of those things that I, I tried for big brother canada i think it was maybe four times i want to say and uh, of course this is before the pandemic times and you know it was cool a cool experience but you know freezing outside in the cold for like two three hours then you go in and you have like six uh, people, you go in there with five other people and there's a judge guy and he asks like one question and then you're done within like 20 seconds. It's so, uh, you know, it's so surreal to be waiting that long. And all of a sudden you're, oh wait, I'm already done. And uh, I had the same guy for like three straight years. I remember trying to be like, really? yeah, I've, um, I've, you know, I work in sports TV, like, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the on right show. He's, oh, what's that? Oh, it's on TSN. Oh, what's that? And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm from the States. And he's like, oh, I'm like, okay, they're like the Canadian ESPN. What's that? I'm like, oh, my God. So everything I was uh, trying to, like, appeal to this guy wasn't working. And I felt really bad for this one girl that w- went in with me. And uh, he basically saw her right away. Well, he didn't, it wasn't basically. It was exactly it. And he saw her and he goes, oh, you again. I've seen you. This is the fourth straight year. Anything new? Like, why should I put you on the show? And she obviously felt so nervous about it. And this guy was, I guess that's the strategy of him maybe, you know, to be so... Uh, not, I mean, not demeaning, but to be so uh, rattle people, uh, their cages a little bit and see how they react. And obviously she didn't get picked. Uh, and obviously I didn't either. So it's, it's tough to make that initial impression within 20 seconds. It's very, very difficult. Oh, gosh, that sounds grueling. Yeah, it, it's still fun because you're there with uh, random Big Brother fans and, you know, you sort of talk about it. But then in the back of your head, you're sort of like, well, no, but I'm, they're my comp- competition again on the show right now. Right. So. It's uh, it's definitely fun, but yeah, he was. It's like every time I, every year, it's like, oh no, not him again. Like, oh crap, every at every turn he uh, rejected me. I remember one year I, I got in maybe because uh, I think it was eight a.m. or something like that was when people could start going on uh, in the lineups. I got there at like one. I thought, okay, I'll leave the last impression, and he was like, all right, I've been here for five hours. Ah, just go. Why should you be on the show? Like with that attitude, it was like, oh, you're already nervous as it is, and you're rattled. So. Uh, Basically, I guess oh, I'm blaming geez. him for why I didn't get in the show. Otherwise, I would have been a reality TV star by now. Okay, well, let's forget about that guy. We're going to reset. Maybe 
the big brother dream is put aside and you just focus your efforts on your bachelorette dream. Maybe that's what this is telling you. Yeah. Well, uh, I've uh, attempted that a couple of times and no bueno as well. Would uh, either uh, any kind of reality show, would you, would you ever want to be on one? Um, well, if I'm being honest, I have been on a reality show when I oh. was, Oh gosh, 15, 14 years old. I was on a show called the adrenaline project, which is basically fear factor for kids. Huh. And at the top of this interview, I mentioned that I was in TV at a really young age and I saw the audition for they wanted athletic kids to come and compete in like a sports show, basically. So we went um, and we were taken out to a field and for the audition process I had to do all these like athletic challenges and then you got brought back and on my season it was me and another girl and three boys and i ended up winning the show so i got some pretty sweet swag as a 15 year old um when it was a really fun experience it was only a couple days of filming but you know with a kid in public school still or just starting high school it was great what did you win when you said you got some sweet swag I did. I got a week of whitewater rafting. I got a digital camera and I think I got some like sports clothes, if I remember correctly. It's been a long time, but I think the biggest was the bragging rights over the boys as a, as a 14 year old girl. That meant a lot because they were a little cocky. <laughs> was there, uh, was it just strictly uh, physical challenges or was it, was it basically you're trying to vote people off or, or anything like that? Sort of like a survivor big brother type of a game? No, or just, there oh. was no, there was no voting. There was no fan interaction. It was the first season of the show. I, I don't know how many seasons it lasted to be honest. Um, but what were the three challenges? I'm trying to remember. The first was mountain biking. You had to mountain bike like over a course. Damn. The second was you had to ride um, a motorized bull while throwing um, like a target practice. And then the third Jeez. was a sea and you had to race through a course and collect flags on your sea so those were our athletic challenges. And then each step, this, the slowest person would be knocked off, um, sometimes two. So, yeah, there was three in the final stage and came down to the wire. That's uh, that sounds uh, like, like a pretty fun uh, challenge. There's no question. So, so, it so from that, I can, I can uh, decipher that you're applying now to be on Survivor and Canadian Big Brother and all these uh, different <laughs> reality shows. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to think. The show that I would I would love to host a show. I think it'd be so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, like Amazing Race. Oh my gosh, to host Amazing Race would be so fun. Um, to be a contestant on the Amazing Race, I would love that too. Actually, that's a an internal debate I have in my head a lot. Who would I choose as my Amazing Race partner? You have to be very strategic. Um, yeah, do but, tell. Who, who would you Who would you pick? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Right now, I think I'd probably go with my big brother. He's probably one of the smartest people I know, also athletic. He might get frustrated with me. Um, but you have to choose someone that's a little different than you. Like, I think I'd be really good at making friends with different people in all the various cities. I'd need someone who has stronger navigation skills than I, because I get lost in Toronto, let alone a foreign country. So we'd hopefully work together well. Well, Who I want to be on a reality show. Your so. amazing race partner? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I will uh, volunteer myself to be uh, the amazing race partner, and we will win millions and millions of dollars and become uh, reality show stars. <laughs> Dream big. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you watch any of the other various ones, like uh, Too Hot to Handle, Love is Blind, Love Island, all those different uh, reality shows, or just pretty much I The Bachelor? I don't watch any of the spinoffs, only The Bachelor and Bachelorette. And I have to be honest, I even took a break from the bachelor franchise for a few years because I was like, this is too ridiculous. I know I, I'm not a true fan, but I've gotten back on the bandwagon. Um, I, I, t- I stepped away from the show because I reached a point where I'm like, this is ridiculous. It's a waste of time. And then who drove me back? I don't know. There was probably some wild episode and I got, I got drawn back into the franchise. And now I think I just watch it for fun. It's my guilty pleasure. It's my time to unplug. And then it gets, to be shared on podcasts like this and there's a large group of people who are obsessed with the show so that's kind of a nice element too but no other reality tv for the most part that's kind of my only only show i watch believe it or not what about you do you watch it all all the spinoffs pretty well yeah i mean i haven't started uh, love island uh, yet but that's that's a, a really funny show because i think it's only on for about a month and it's like i think it's like five nights a week 
But I basically just get, you know, put it on the PVR, get like five episodes behind or something like that, and just like you binge it in one night or something. And the best part of that show is the narrator is absolutely a riot. He's so, so funny. And he basically just makes fun of all the people on, on the show. Uh, and uh, I, again, also somewhat surprisingly, they actually kind of actually make some connections on that show. Uh, so that one's probably one of the, one of my favorite ones. The, um, did you say five nights a week? I th- yeah, but it's only for a month. So basically, uh, you know, it's, <gasps> it's wow. quick, but you know, obviously it does seem like a lot, but then it's like, Oh, it's actually not, not that many episodes, you know? Um, Holy smokes. That's a, and so you as a fan have to commit to, is it an hour every single night? Uh, it's an hour, I believe, yeah. And but but like I said, I just get like five episodes behind on PVR and just rinse through them instead of. Uh, right. I wouldn't watch every single night. That's just uh, no thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> too hot to handle. I watched season one of that on Netflix, and I've watched a few episodes of season two. That's pretty funny as well. Obviously, they lose money uh, for the group pot if they end up like making out or doing other such things. So it's kind I've of funny seen- to see if they actually make connections or if they want to lose the money, basically. Yeah. Uh, the other one that I thought was weird. Everyone really loved it, but. I've railed on this on this podcast before. It was called um, uh, Love is Blind, which is a cool concept. I don't know if you saw any of it at all. No, but my I have a lot of friends who loved it. That's the one where they're in the pods and they talk to people and they develop connections just based off of their voice, but they can't see them, right? Exactly, and that's a cool concept, okay. right? But within the first episode of season one... If they'd already liked each other, they already saw each other in person. It's like the whole concept of the show was over within an episode. So then they oh. just saw each other in person, and then, then they saw if they liked each other, blah, 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 blah. So basically, it was just like any other reality show. And it's like, why? Like, within an ep- like Literally, within the first episode, they're already seeing each other. It's like the whole concept was thrown out the window, so it was really cool, I thought, for like an episode or two. And then it just dragged out, and it's just like, well, what's the point of this now? It's just any like any other reality show at that point. So I have to pause you there. When you get to see the person from the pod, does that mean you have to marry the person, or you just you get to see them? I think they basically went on like some dates or whatever, much like they sort of do on the Bachelor type thing, and see okay. if they you know, actually have a connection. Blah 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 blah. I remember one woman. I can't remember her name, but she was the star because she like uh, fed her dog some wine. I think it was, and she was uh, <laughs> she, she was a little bit older than than the younger guy. I think. And she was kept saying, like, you know, that's a, a barrier between them. But she was trying to love him or something. Or she, she she said she really liked him. I can't remember her name. But she was definitely hilarious. And it oh turned gosh. out they, they didn't, unfortunately, they didn't and didn't end up working out. But uh, she was an absolute, you know, it was so, so funny to watch her. And so there was parts of the show that were good. But like I said, the actual concept was over. So I was like, well, what's the point then at, at that point? Right. I mean, reality TV, it's trying all sorts of new things. Some clearly aren't as much of a success. A because new- I have to say, as as crazy as sometimes Bachelor Bachelorette seasons are, it is pretty impressive that they've been able to keep this franchise going as long as they have. If you think of Survivor, American Idol, The Bachelor and Bachelorette, there's very few that have been able to continue for, I mean, it's coming on two decades, it feels like now. Absolutely, and uh, there's another one that's coming, going to be on Netflix at the end of July, I believe it is. It's called, I think it's called Sexy Beasts. And, oh, dear. And oh, it's dear. Similar to Love is Blind, they don't actually get to see them because they're all in ridiculous costumes of, like, animals, and, like, one person's, like, an octopus. I, I saw the promo for it. One person's, like, an octopus or something like that, and you don't actually get to see their face and stuff. But then they actually get, you know, same thing. They get to see if they like each other, and then eventually, of course, it uh, looks like they'll, you know, they'll be normal, quote-unquote normal. So it's a, yeah, it's very, I would love to be inside the brain of these people who uh, come up with these uh, concepts for shows because uh, they're definitely pushing the envelope on some of them. That's, that's for sure. (laughs) Agreed. So, so funny. Uh, Well, I'll get you out of here on this. Uh, Lindsay, uh, obviously we both uh, love uh, some golf. Uh, How's your game looking like uh, so far on the season? How's my game? Um, a work in progress is how I'm going to describe it. Uh, It definitely could use some help as always it slowly is getting better season by season i'm still relatively new to golf i think this is my oh gosh fifth summer i want to say because i kind of got into it when i came to tsn and i'm at the point where i'm seeing improvement but i have to be honest the putting is just a complete gong shell Mm. i got out this week i'd have an attempt for birdie three putt attempt for par three putt so I really need to just figure out the putting, and then hopefully things will fall into place. Maybe. That's, we'll that's, see. That's tough. What uh, what got you into golf to begin, to begin with? 
You know what? It was Brian Mujic actually at TSN. Um, growing up, I, I played a ton of sports. As I said, lacrosse was my main sport. In the summers, I did everything from swimming to water skiing to tennis, but I never really played much golf. And Brian Mujic used to do a charity tournament out in Boyle, Alberta. And the first year I came to Sports Center, he asked if I wanted to play. I was honest and said, I don't golf. And he said, people get so hammered, they won't even know if you golf or not. You should come out. <laughs> so I committed to going. I got out to the range as much as I could prior to going to that tournament. Got a few practice-esque rounds in, if you could even call it that. I could hardly hit my clubs. But it was that tournament that just kind of made me fall in love with the game. And I, I sucked, as I do many days still, but... There's just so many parts of golf that are addicting. You have one good shot. You want to get back out. You see the improvement. Um, you're constantly working on different elements of your game. You can work different courses. And I've always liked to watch golf, and, and I admire what athletes can do. So that was kind of my first taste of it. And then I got the bug. Um, a lot of frustration the first two summers as I tried to learn how to play, but now I'm, I'm definitely addicted, and, and from a broadcasting perspective, too, I love covering it. So that's always fun to see how your game should look and then how it actually does look. Yeah, and well, I'll tell you the frustration I played for about 22, 23 years. I picked up the game as like a 12-year-old or so and just fell in love instantly like you. Uh, the frust- that frustration does not go away. You, you always think you can do better. No matter how <laughs> oh, well good. you play, you know, you always think you can do a little bit better. But for the putting, I would say the, the tip I would give is, a lot of times people will be so focused on the line of where the putt, of course, obviously you want to get it close in terms of where the hole is, focus more on the speed of the putt. And as long as the, as the, uh, as the speed is decent, you're mostly going to be totally fine, relatively speaking, because oftentimes, yeah, if you're so focused on the line, you leave it, you know, 10 feet short or you blast it eight feet past the hole. That's when the, the strokes start to add up. Totally. And you know what? I mean, I don't have the opportunity to play with a caddy very often, but I find if you have someone you're golfing with who is maybe a member of the course or who plays that course often and they can give you a great read, to me, it's such a game changer. I remember I was at, um, I think it was a tournament a couple of years ago when Dave Poulin was there and he was giving me the reads yeah, and it was one of the best putting days I've ever had. And I'm like, okay, so this is the trick. I just need someone to know the greens perfectly. Tell me where it's going to break, how quick to go, like tell me where to aim, and then it all comes together. So really, I just need a professional caddy, and it all come together. I'm kidding. That's there is no solution, but yes, yes. Hopefully, it can get better. Uh, Dave Pullen's the best. I've golfed with him a few times. Brag, and yeah, he's just the nicest guy, uh, no doubt. Do you have any bucket list courses that you want to uh, you want to play? Oh my gosh, I mean. Like, I'd love to play at Augusta. That's the pipe dream. <laughs> um, covering the Masters twice from studio. Um, obviously, in, a, in an unorthodox past two years we've had, the first being in November and then this last spring. Um, that was incredible. And I've talked to a few people who've actually played the course, and it sounds like a dream. So hopefully one day I can get out there. I'd also love to play out in Banff or out west and even watching the match this week. Out in Big Sky, Montana. I was like, man, Montana looks beautiful. Yeah, it looks amazing. That course did look awesome. Uh, I worked at the, before I worked at TSN, just for the summer in 2005 at the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge in Alberta, uh, Canada's number one golf resort. That place is absolutely spectacular. Like the course, in terms of the actual course, was very, very good, but maybe not like the most difficult course around or whatever. There'd be some easier holes and some really tough ones. But the views in that course, Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge was absolutely amazing. I used to play, you know, twice a day or almost three times a day on my day off. And, uh, man, I miss that place. That would be a perfect place for you to go. I remember you talking about that course. Yeah, it looks stunning. I'd love to play there. Um, pretty much any time I'm invited to play anywhere, I say yes. It's, I'm always open for golf. Yeah, absolutely. I have uh, 10 days off coming up, and I have about at least six rounds that I'll, that I'll be playing, so I'm very excited about that. Uh, I love it. It's yeah, awesome. I'm so excited. Do you have, do you have a, by the way, this week, the British Open, do you have a, a, a someone you'd most want to see win uh, the Open Championship? Oh, man. I don't know. Um, that's a great question. Maybe Jordan Spieth will be my pick? Hmm. Yeah, that'd yeah, be good one. Yeah, I'll go I always like to see you? A, uh, I like to see a guy sort of breakthrough that uh, I know he's already won one uh, Louis Oosthuizen the 2010 British Open but yeah. he's had so many runner-ups it's insane how the guy 
can, you know, he finished second in the last two majors. He's finished second in all the majors. He finished second at the Players' Championship, the match play. Like, it's crazy, especially in the States. He's never won in the States. He lost a couple uh, playoff earlier this year in New Orleans. How he could be so good to get to second in all of these majors, but yet never win one except for that first one he won, when he won uh, by, like, seven shots in 2010 as an unknown. So it's been over a decade, and he hasn't won one since. He hasn't even won a regular tournament on the PGA Tour I'd love, to, I'd love to see him win or you know, somebody like a Ricky Fowler win a major. It's always nice to see someone yeah. who you get yeah. the monkey off their back, you know? For sure. And what that means to them and then their career. I mean, even when DJ won the Masters, right? Like that moment, it was just so fun to witness. And you could see it all over his face, like the emotion and, and how close he'd come so many times before. It was pretty cool. Are you going to be working the the British Open, or are you going to be on vacay during that time? I'll be on vacay. I'll be writing for it for the website I write for Sports Betting Dime, and also a little bit on TSN Edge. Uh, writes uh, golf articles on that. That's a good good opportunity for a plug. This is outstanding. Uh, yeah, I write love for it. Sports Betting Dime and TSN Edge, and I write for the golf betting advice on those. So I'll be doing that. But in terms of actually uh, working for the tournament, no, I'll be uh, you know on my couch watching the Open, and uh, cannot wait. That's a good way to experience it as well. Crack <laughs> open a cold beer, hot summer day, watch some golf. Cannot complain. Absolutely. Well, Lindsay, this has been a blast uh, talking to you. Thanks for coming on. It's been uh, absolute. Uh, it's been great. Thanks, Harrison. And I can't believe did you say episode sixty-eight. This is. Mm-hmm. Well, good for you. I mean, that's awesome that the podcast is doing so well. I love catching up, talking sports and our favorite topic bachelor bachelorette before i let you go do you have a prediction who's gonna win or not win i shouldn't say that who shall fall in love with <laughs> yeah who, uh, <laughs> who has stolen her heart i thought uh, by the way that you're gonna say i can't believe you waited till episode 68 to have me on you jerk uh no no hard feeling <laughs> it's all good uh in terms of who i said at the start of the season andrew uh, s the football player from vienna i think uh okay. he absolutely think could he's gonna take it yeah, I picked him and Trey, although I don't, as it looks now, I have a feeling Trey uh, won't. Oh, we actually forgot to mention Blake. I hear a lot of people thinking he has a good chance of winning. Do you? I, I actually don't see that chemistry like uh, everyone said they that they had. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think maybe, I say like top like six. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he'd be the one she chooses. They They seem to get along well, but it's hard for someone to... I mean, the whole show in general, how how many months they have to know each other before an engagement. So the fact that you have a few weeks just seems to speed up the process a little bit too much. Yeah. But I, I like it. So you got Trey to win The Bachelor. You got Fowler to win The Open. These are good predictions in here. You have the Habs not making the playoffs next year. Oh, absolutely. You're just going bold here, Hound Dog. I got a feeling, actually, Ricky Fowler might not even play. Now that, now that you mentioned I have a feeling he might not even be playing The Open Championship, which is funny. But, uh, yeah, no, I, Trey, I would like to see him, but I have a feeling he won't. It would be more, I think, more likely Andrew S. would be the one that uh, I think will have a chance. So it looks like Fowler is playing the Open. So uh, who, who, okay, who, who are you picking to win, by the way, for The Bachelorette? For The Bachelor, I think, I think Greg. I think her and Greg on that first date, they just seem to really connect and... I don't know. They get along really well. That's my guess. I figure, I feel it's always, it's, uh, maybe I haven't actually looked the stats on this, but it feels like it's always rare. The initial person right away is the one that ends up winning. It just feels like, you know, maybe it's a little too easy, too, uh, too early. Right. And then eventually they go to the final four or something and then eventually get kicked off. That's what I think is going to happen to Greg. <laughs> okay. Time will tell. We'll, we'll see. Only time will tell indeed. Well, thank you again, uh, Lindsay. It's been awesome. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Hound Dog. It was a lot of fun. Talk soon. Take care. That was a blast talking to Lindsay Hamilton about her career in media, her interviewing the Beebs, embarrassing moments, and of course, the Habs losing the Stanley Cup. What an absolute amazing experience it must have been for her to be part of Canada's thrilling comeback to win the World Championship gold in hockey. I had no idea she was on a reality show, and I was so cool to know she was on one. It would be amazing to compete on one of those, that's for sure. And we shall see about who wins the Bachelorette. I do believe it will be Andrew. And as we said, Katie has been outstanding this season, so I'm sure she'll make the right call. Here's hoping someone like Ricky Fowler breaks through to win his first major at the Open Championship this week, or Louis Oosthuizen, as I mentioned. Even though he's won one before, it just it just breaks my heart to see the guy constantly finish second. It's got to be so tough. He's basically the modern age of Greg Norman, except for Norman at least won tournaments uh, other than majors. He only won the two majors, Norman, but he won a bunch of other ones. Louis has literally been shut out in the United States, which is just kind of crazy. 
You can follow Lindsay on social media at Hamilton Lindsay on Instagram and Linz underscore Hamilton. That's L-I-N-Z underscore Hamilton on Twitter. Thank you for listening to episode 68 of the H-Dog Pod. Bang. This has been the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Mm, bang. Mm, bang. Mm, bang. Mm, bang. Mm, bang. Bing. Sometimes I, I won't lie, I can put my own interview hat on, so I start interviewing the person interviewing <laughs> me, so if I'm bombarding you with questions, be like, Lindsay, this is not your time. Yeah. You're cut <laughs> off, it's like, I'll, I'll have yeah. the, the sound that they, that they play at the uh, those award shows or whatever, basically, no, you're done. Totally, you're- <laughs> yeah, the music starts coming in. <laughs>